Good morning, New Life. Good morning. So good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Sharon Swift. I'm the pastor of Connections and Equipping here at New Life. And if you are new here, I would love to uh, get to meet you and shake your hand down in the lobby after service. And it's so good to see so many familiar faces. So glad to be here with you this morning to continue this short but really powerful series on Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. Um, so before I get into this uh, series, I do want to just, I want to make a confession this morning. Um, I know this is a little bit of a disappointment, particularly to Pastor Rich, but I just, I want to live in truth. And um, so I want to confess to you this morning that I am not really a Marvel fan. I know, you know, Pastor Rich, Pastor Jackie, they know they're praying for me, uh, and I covet your prayers as well. Um, but yeah, you know, they had a couple movies, and I was like in grad school, and so I like didn't catch them. And then there were more movies, and I, I was like, okay, I have to watch the first ones. It just, it, it, it really got away from me. So yeah, uh, I, I appreciate your prayers, um, but all that to say, I do like superheroes. My favorite is Batman. I'm more of a DC person than Marvel. Uh, yes, some Batman people here. Come on. But, but all that to say, the reason I didn't want to skip those movies, right, is because I love a good origin story. Um, I, of course, love the action sequences, the special effects, the, the, uh, all that, but I love a good origin story. And I love to see how uh, the heroes and the villains uh, kind of got to the place they are. What were the things that happened that shaped them and made them into the characters we see now? Um, I always find that so inspiring and, um, and so interesting. It gives so many more layers to a character. And so I like to think of this series on Jesus as prophet, priest, and king like that. It's sort of like an origin story. It's sort of like looking back and we're connecting what we see in the Old Testament and some of the key critical roles that exist in the Old Testament and, and at the time that Jesus came into the world. And then we're understanding Jesus in light of those roles and events. And so it's like connecting the origin story of Jesus, the fact that he came in a particular body, in a particular place, at a particular time. And he did very particular things because of what happened before he came and as a response to what happened before he came. And so this series is powerful for that reason. And Pastor Rich kicked us off last week talking about Jesus as prophet. And if you didn't get to hear that sermon, I want to encourage you. It is so good. You will definitely want to catch up on that. But today, we're going to explore Jesus as priest. And so with that, I want to um, introduce today's text. We'll be reading from Hebrews. Um, there is a lot in the book of Hebrews about Jesus, particularly as, as priest. It is a worthy read if you have the time. But today, we're going to look at chapter 7, verses 26 through chapter 8, verse 2. Hear the word of the Lord. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he, meaning Jesus, has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, for, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once for all 
when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests those who are subject to weakness, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now this, this, I'm sorry, now the main point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary, and the true tent or tabernacle that the Lord and not any mortal has set up. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for all the history that it records, but not just the history of what happened, but also the meaning of it what it means for our story and our ability to connect to you and how you used um, flawed people and broken systems for your glory. And God, I pray that this word would guide us, and lead us, that it would challenge us and transform us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So when we hear this word priest, um, it's going to trigger something in you, uh, an image, an experience. Um, That happens with words that kind of hold a big role. Um, So if I said dentist to you or doctor, you're going to probably have immediately some reaction, whether it's an image that comes to mind or maybe the pain of your last visit. Um, Something is going to come to mind, an experience, uh, some anxiety, whatever that may entail. It's the same if I say a word like politician. Okay, loaded word. You may not even know any politicians yourself, but you're already going to come to mind with an image or an experience or something that's been portrayed to you, uh, whether it's indirectly through news articles or uh, on the television. You're going to have an idea uh, that comes to mind when I say that word. And it's the same with the word priest. Okay, it's a word we hear, um, whether we have a personal experience with someone who we would have called a priest or not. There's going to be certain things that come to mind. It might be a positive or a negative association. If you grew up or attended a church that was maybe a Catholic church or an Anglican church, the clergy were called priests. You might have gone to a Catholic school and encountered the priests there uh, in the parish. Or you may um, just have information indirectly from TV and from what we've heard in the news about um, abuses and cover-ups. And so this word priest is a pretty loaded word. And so I just want to name that before we delve into today and today's exploration of Jesus as a priest, is that we all come with this kind of uh, set of associations and pictures, some of them positive, some of them may not be so positive. But what we want to do is not only name that, but be willing to kind of put that to the side just for the moment, not because it's insignificant, but because we want to understand what uh, the priesthood was at the time that Jesus came into the world and previous to that. When the scripture talks about the priests, what are they referring to? What is being, what image is being conjured up? Not just our modern images of it. And so I'm going to ask you to indulge me in this, to, to, just to explore, first of all, what is a priest? Um, and so with that, 
What is a priest? Um, In the Old Testament, um, we see that these priests were um, a subset, um, a particular group of people that were set aside to service and perform worship in the temple. Um, They were a specific group of people um, set aside by birth for this role. Um, Some of them were, um, and these were from the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, but some of them would do some of the practical things around the temple grounds, like um, being guards, uh, standing at the gate, But um, there were others that were actually priests who did work within the temple. And so um, we actually, I have a picture of a recreation, a scale model of the temple to show you, but it shows that the outer courts are really quite extensive and large. And then there's sort of this inner court um, that's, you know, smaller, and then we have the temple mount itself, the, the temple itself where the, the holy place is, and then within that is the holy of holies, where the presence of God dwells. And so when we understand, when we hear about priests in the Old Testament, and even at the time of Jesus, they had very specific roles within that inner part of the temple complex. Um, and so some of the roles that they had um, are as follows, and we can put up that slide. Uh, they would keep the lampstands lit. Um, there was a lampstand that looked like actually a tree. It was made to look like a tree. A lot of the imagery in the temple was actually um, from creation. And so this lampstand resembles a tree and they're supposed to light this. Uh, there's, they would set out what's called the bread of presence, um, which again, another symbol of the 12 tribes of Israel. They would maintain the fire on the altar. The fire on the altar could never go out. It was their responsibility to make sure there was sufficient wood and that the fire was still burning. They would read and teach the law. So again, they would recite the law for the people of Israel and keep it before them. That was part of their responsibility in uh, managing the worship and sacrifices in the temple. They would supervise tithing, and so they would receive those goods and make sure that they were accounted for. They pronounced the benediction over the people as representatives of God. They pronounced that blessing upon them. They received sacrifices and present them to the Lord on behalf of the people. So as the people came to Jerusalem for different festivals or had offerings for particular um, issues that were spelled out in the law, the priests were the ones that would receive that and would do what was necessary with the offering. Um, And then once a year, the most important sacrifice and offering that's given, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest offers a sacrifice for himself that would allow him to go into the presence of God, and then he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the whole nation um, for their sins for the year. And so these are some very specific, and and there are other things that the priesthood did, but these are some very specific, very, um, actually very physical tasks that the priests had in in the temple. They functioned as mediators between God and his people. And so why, does, why is there a need for a mediator? Why does this role exist in the first place? Well, the reality is there's this rift between God and humanity. 
And the priesthood are mediators across that gap and that rift. Now, how did that happen? We see this happen in the garden. God's initial desire in creating humans was to collaborate with them, to fellowship with them, to be with them. Originally in the garden, God and, and the first man and the first woman had access to God. They could talk to God. They were with God in the garden. But when humans chose to reject that collaboration, reject God's partnership, there was a fracture that happened. A rift was created. And it, it ran a crack through everything in the human existence whether it's our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, our relationship with the rest of the created world, our environment, our earth. It has put a crack through everything. This rift is very real and it's very big. And we feel the consequences of it even now. And so this gap can't just be overlooked. This rift is actually uh, central to what we understand in scripture. When we see the whole of scripture, it's driven by this big rift. And how is God going to close this rift? Because two things are really true here. This introduces a critical problem that the whole narrative of the Bible is centered around. One, that God loves humans and wants to be with us in spite of the fact that we've rejected him. And second, that sin makes a direct relationship with God impossible. These two things drive so much of the biblical narrative because God is unwilling to give up on his chance to fellowship with humans and collaborate with humans. And so the priesthood becomes one of the answers to holding these two opposing truths together. This is why the priesthood is such a powerful symbol. God wants to be with the humans he created in his image. But sin has created a rift. Humans have introduced this rift that can't be ignored. And so worship and the serving done by the priests in the temple was established so that there could be a space where God's mediated, indirect presence can dwell with his people. That was what's going to set Israel apart from all the other nations of the world and set these people apart from all the other nations of the world. That in the center of them, in the midst, God's presence was going to dwell. Now, it couldn't be direct like it was in the garden, but he would be there. And the priests would maintain this environment following all kinds of rules for the safety of the people so that they could interact with their God. They could have an experience, a community uh, centered around sacrifices that allowed them to be in God's presence. And so it's hard for us to maybe picture this um, and to really grasp this, but the reality is that the sacrifices and offerings and all the rules that came with being in the presence of God, um, they were actually tangible reminders of the distance that existed, this rift created by humans between God and humanity. When the priests did this work, it was actually a reminder of just how big this gap was, that there was this holy God, this perfect God, but there was also uh, humanity who could not, who out of their rejection could not be in God's presence safely. And so the priests are mediators serving across this gap 
even though they're human too. And they are serving across this gap, connecting humanity and God, becoming symbols of God's reconciling love. Their presence shows that this gap is not the end of the story, that this rift is not the final word. And their presence shows that um, their whole call, their whole lives are oriented towards making sure God and his people can connect, even if it is, isn't directly. And so think about this. We have examples in our own life when we think about it where we don't have direct access to somebody uh, that we need access to. I think again, I know, I, sorry I keep bringing up doctors, but think again about your doctor. If you need your doctor because you're sick or you're unwell or your prescription ran out, you don't have your doctor's phone number. It's probably very rare, unless you're friends with your doctor, that you would have their direct number. You're not going to text them on their cell phone, right? You're going to call their office and you're going to hope that their assistant uh, picks up or gets the message and they will relay that message to the doctor. And that's what we do, right? I remember being a young mom and, you know, nervously waiting as the phone to the pediatrician's office rings and rings and rings, and I'm hoping that someone will pick up and someone will reach the doctor for me, that someone will advocate and squeeze me in that schedule so I can get my sick child in to be seen. That's the reality that we're experiencing here, that this is an indirect relationship. They can't get to God directly. It's not safe because of this rift but they can through this priest, this intermediary, this mediator. And we even see this in things like today in baptism and communion. We're making something invisible visible through the sacraments. We're showing that there is a reality here that goes beyond what we can perceive. And we use the elements to describe and to demonstrate that reality. When we come to communion later today, we're coming with the reality that it's not just about a small piece of bread and a, and a sip of juice. The reality we're proclaiming is that Jesus came, that he came for us, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, that he advocates for us even now, that his spirit dwells within us, and that someday he's coming back. And this table will not just be a, a small piece of bread and a sip of juice, but it will be a banquet. It will be a feast. That's an unseen reality that we're proclaiming when we come to the communion table. And again, it's the same with the priests. They are a sign. When they keep the fires lit, when they lay out the bread of presence, when they light the lamp, when they offer the sacrifices, they are a sign that God is present and with his people, that even though he can't be directly amongst them, that he is there, and that they are creating spaces where they, the people can experience God's presence and love. The priests show that God's deep desire is to connect with his people and to collaborate with them, to be their God, and for them to be his people. And just by their service in the temple, they are showing that God is constantly reaching out, that God is constantly extending himself. God is constantly reaching over this rift to try to connect with his people. He's not distant. He's not this abstract concept. He is real. 
and he is there. And yet humanity continues to decline God's extended hand, continues to refuse that invitation, and we see that too in scripture over and over again. And yet we see God's tremendous love. That's how great God's love is, that in spite spite of the fact that most people will reject him, at some point or another, God continues to reach out to us. That's what we see through the priesthood, that even when people go the wrong way, even when people turn from God, even when they reject his wisdom, reject his guidance, God is still there. The fire is still burning. His presence is still behind the Holy of Holies, and he is waiting to receive their sacrifice and to receive them. His hand is always extended. His great love will always await us to turn to him and reach back out. And that's why in Numbers 18, uh, it's actually verse 7, um, they call the priesthood a gift. God is saying that this is a gift. Um, It's not meant to be this heavy weight, but it's a gift because this is a way that God can facilitate a space where he can interact with the people he loves so much. This is a way that he can cross this rift until a more perfect way comes. This is his way of connecting and showing the world that he hasn't given up on humanity in spite of our unfaithfulness. And so these priests hold an important space. They're temporary intermediaries, symbols of reconciliation between God and human beings. And they are a sign that God hasn't given up on his promises in the covenant that he made with his people. They are a sign that God is committed to seeing this through. They remain a sign that God is holy, and yet his love runs really deep. They hold these two core truths together, that God loves humans, made in his image. He is fully invested, and yet... He is holy, and sin has to be addressed. Now, we know this system didn't work perfectly. Um, There is so much value and beauty in the way God set this up, but we know that it didn't go well. Um, We see over and over in Scripture how disappointing the priesthood could be and some of their failures, because the reality is the priests were humans. They had the same struggles and temptations that all of us as humans have. Um, I recall, so in my previous roles, um, before I was full-time in ministry, I was an accountant. I guess I still am an accountant. Uh, That knowledge didn't disappear. But um, but I actually helped, uh, I was the director of finance over a nonprofit. That was the last role I had before I took this position at New Life. And one of the things about that role is that I oversaw a lot of the budgets and the contracts, um, the donations that we got to provide nonprofit services to some of the most vulnerable people and marginalized people in a particular community, in Washington Heights, actually. Um, And so uh, it was an honor to hold that role um, because I felt like I had the chance to really advocate for services and help bring to reality um, some of the services we wanted to provide to some of the most neglected people uh, in New York. And so I loved that job, but it was challenging. When I think of the priests and how they had this sacred responsibility um, to uphold certain laws and rules, um, 
but to also resist a certain kind of temptation, um, that they needed to have a certain kind of integrity to hold this role. I think back to that job, and I felt I had a sacred duty, especially as a Christian in that workplace, I felt like I had a sacred duty to make sure that the funds were used in the best way possible um, for the people. And that meant sometimes I had to say, no or advocate and hold a a line even against my own boss you know she was a great person a great leader but the reality was sometimes people in influence would come to me and want to push uh, a certain way and i had to hold that line of integrity and say we can do this but we can't do that you know we can do this but we'll neglect our mission i had to hold that, that tension of this is what our mission says and this is what our funders will allow us to do and here's the work we can do and hold that line of integrity um, and i i'm a people person so it's hard for me to say no to someone even if i think they're well-meaning it can be really hard to hold that line of integrity the priests had the same temptation Here come the kings. Here come some other influential people in Israel. And the temptation to uh, yield a little, to blur the lines, to maybe use the offerings in ways that God did not really intend for them to be used was very real temptation. And we see throughout the Old Testament that they succumb to that temptation time and again. That even when the prophets step up and tell them, no, you're going the wrong way, and because of your role, you're leading Israel astray, they still, they still gave in. The kings, and we'll hear about Jesus as king next week, the kings uh, became increasingly corrupt, and the priests got caught up in that political web, in that desire for power, in the temptation that the, the wealth in the, of the offerings uh, created. And so here is a problem. This system has not lived up to what it was meant to be. The priests are not doing what they were meant to do. Their, blur, their, their lack of um, integrity in these roles is obscuring the beautiful thing that God is trying to do in and through the temple. And so Jesus comes. Jesus comes to set things right. Jesus comes so that these lines are not blurred anymore. And this is why he's so harsh with the priests and the, the, and the high priests specifically. Because when they fail in their role, they are missing the chance to hold before the people both the grace of God and the holiness of God. They obscure the truth of this Uh, of the beauty of what's supposed to happen in the temple. And so when he sees that they're hopelessly corrupt again, remember when, when they come, when Jesus comes into the world, they're not their own nation anymore. They're under a foreign power. And the temple is one of the few places where they have some autonomy. They have some ability to direct themselves. And so the priests yet again get caught up in the politics and the plays for power and influence and negotiating uh, for political power with a foreign nation. And so Jesus Jesus is harsh with them because they are neglecting this sacred obligation for the people of Israel. And so he comes as the true priest, the one who is subject to temptation because he's fully human, but the one who doesn't give in to that temptation. He's without sin. Jesus comes not only 
as one perfectly qualified to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people, he comes as the most perfect sacrifice. He is not only that perfect high priest who is without sin. He can enter the Holy of Holies without having to give an offering for himself. And yet, he offers himself as that perfect offering on behalf of us all. Unlike every high priest that has come before him, every high priest who has had to atone for themselves before the people, Jesus comes and is that perfect final sacrifice, giving his own life so that we can be free from this rift that we have been caught in. And in fact, when he dies on the cross, it's recorded in the Gospels that the curtain that, that shields us from the Holy of Holies, that protects us from the presence of God, the all-powerful presence of God, is torn in two. This is so significant because it shows that because of Jesus, there's no longer this rift that keeps us from the presence of God. The, the thing that God had wanted from the very foundations of the world to be with his people, to dwell directly with them, to be in fellowship with us, to collaborate with us, to be one with us is now a reality again. Because of Jesus and the curtain being torn, we are free from that rift, and God can be with us. God can dwell with us. He can be with us directly in a brand new way, in a way that wasn't possible since the garden. We no longer need that curtain, and we no longer have these rigid limitations. Life is now available for us outside of this rift Jesus has done what no high priest before could do. <sighs> amen, amen. God's mercy eliminates that rift, and God's grace puts us in fellowship with God again. And even though we are still prone to sin, even though we are still going to make our mistakes, there's no longer the chance that that rift will, will occur again. Because Jesus is still at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And his sacrifice covers even the things that are yet to come. That rift will never happen again. And so why does this matter? Why does this affect us today? Why does this change things? Why is this a game changer? Well, there's, there's so many reasons, but I want to really highlight two of the, the sort of big major ones. First of all, God chooses you. All of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is God pursuing his people, coming time and time again to offer himself, to extend a hand, to connect with his people, the people he made in his image, the people he dearly loves. God chooses you. Maybe you haven't heard that before. Maybe what you've always heard is how you fall short how you are not good enough, how you don't measure up, but I am telling you today that God chooses you. He has chosen you before the foundations of the world. He chooses you today. He chooses you in your best moment, and he chooses you in your worst moments. He chooses you, and Jesus is the evidence of that, that Jesus would offer himself his life 
so that there would be no obstacle to God choosing you, to extending his hand, to receiving you directly. And so my question for you is this, will you choose God? If you have never made this decision to follow Jesus, let today be that day. God chooses you. He has arms open to you. And all you have to do is accept him, is to reach back, is to say yes to that invitation. It's next week, November 14th, will be 24 years since I said yes to God's invitation. I kept seeing his hand reach. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and I say that to say, I mean, first of all, I can hardly believe it's been that long, but sometimes I think back and it, it either feels like a million years ago or yesterday. Um, but the reality was, I, my life completely changed when I said yes. I couldn't understand before that day that God kept choosing me, that God kept after me. I implore you, say yes and see where he takes you. But beyond that, I want to remind us, second of all, that um, we are God's priesthood now. We are his priests. Those of us who have said yes, those of us who have reached back and said yes to that invitation, those that walk on this journey, we are his priests now. We are, with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, are his priests in the world. We are those mediators crossing over that rift to people who may never step foot in a church, who may never hear that that rift has been healed, that it's been broached. And so my question to you is, will you help others connect with God? Will you answer that very high and holy calling to be priests in a world that's fractured and broken? Will you answer that call? In 1 Peter 2, um, it says this so powerfully and so beautifully. Um, in verse, at verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is a powerful charge before us. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have been set free from darkness. And we have the chance to carry God's presence. Instead of being limited to a temple uh, where people have to go, we now carry God's presence throughout the world. We set foot in workplaces, in classrooms, in neighborhoods, in apartment buildings where uh, people will never... Uh, come to the church. We set foot in those places, in places where people may not have had an experience, a tangible experience with the presence of God. And we as believers get to carry that. We get to be the priests. We get to be the mediators that show them a tangible and real experience of God's love and God's experience and an experience with God's presence. 
This is an incredible call and charge to all of us who follow Jesus. I remember 24 years ago, I thought God was this abstract, distant being if he existed at all. And if he did exist, he was irrelevant to my life. He had nothing to do with how I lived. He had nothing to do with how I survived. He had nothing to offer me. He was just a concept that some people seem to believe in. But let me tell you, some of you know my story. Some of you know uh, the experience that I had. But the bottom line, if, you, if you're unfamiliar, is this. I had an experience of a crisis, an unbelievable crisis in my life. And it was the Christians that I knew that showed up, that came out, and that stayed the course. And let me tell you, because I didn't believe, and I didn't really have respect for what they believed, I was a huge pain in their behind. I was not very nice or gracious about it, and um, yeah, I didn't make it a secret. I was hostile towards their beliefs, frankly. And yet they kept coming, just like God pursued them. They pursued me with God's love. And they were priests to me. They were a tangible experience. They provided me a tangible experience of God's love. I was never going to set foot in a church until I met them. And I started to see just how real God's love was, just how present it was through his people. And I suddenly realized God was anything but irrelevant. And that's the charge we have. I know when you hear my story that you think these were superheroes. I know we're coming full circle here. You might think they're like these characters we see in the movie. They had to have been super Christians who were perfect. Let me tell you, they weren't. Don't underestimate the power of God that is within you. Don't sell yourself short. These are people that, you know, they don't get put on platforms. They're not going to ever be household names. On this side of eternity, very few people will know who they are. And yet they had a profound impact for the kingdom, not just in me, but in many other people. Their name will be known, I think, on the other side of eternity. I think we will know their names, but... Don't underestimate the influence you have, the power of the presence of God with you, the Holy Spirit within you that Jesus died to give to you. There are places, workplaces, uh, homes, school buildings where you go, where you can proclaim that Jesus has called you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. And let me assure you that there's someone on the other side like me who is desperate to hear that message. Let us not take that lightly. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have called us not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the world that you've called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light, that we, not only we can be free, but that we can show others that there is freedom. 
that there is a place out of the darkness, that there is a way out of the darkness, that in a broken and fractured world, there is healing, that in a world filled with pain, there can be joy on the other side. God, help us to not fall into the temptations that the priesthood that came before us fell into, God. Help us by your spirit to resist the temptations of power, of wealth, of the trappings of this world, God. And instead, help us to be compelled by your great love to reach others who will not hear unless we share with them, God. God, I pray even now that you bring to mind for us people in our circles of influence who we can pray for, who we can extend an invitation to who we can love with your love. Holy Spirit, show us. Lead us, guide us. And Lord, let us remember as we reflect on your sacrifice how great your love is. And let it compel us forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Let's give Pastor Sharon a hand for that beautiful message. Beautiful message. It's not easy to walk through history and um, do what she's done and just give us a gift of understanding what it was that Jesus did for us, who he was called to be for us and who we're called to be. And it's a perfect segue into our time of confession and our time of communion. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Remember the key message about all of this, as, as, as Pastor Sharon so beautifully laid out for us, the whole truth is that Jesus still extends his arms to us today. He still welcomes us. He still opens the door for us. He still meets us. And so we practice confession because we get to confess. We get to confess to a God who has opened his arms for us. They stay open. They remain open no matter where you find yourself today. And so as you think about your past week, where were the opportunities perhaps where you could have been that welcoming presence for Jesus, where you could have been that priest for someone, and perhaps you just missed it? Or where were the spaces where you just felt yourself not, you realized later you just didn't even hear what God had for you, and you just missed it and you went your own way? not realizing what you had left behind. Just take a few moments, think about your week, think about that, and then we'll share our prayer of confession together. share the prayer together. 
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault, in thought, in word, in deed, in what we have done, in what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in the newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. I love um, the, where Pastor Sharon spoke about Jesus and his entry into the, the, holies, uh, the Holy of Holies. You know, the priests, typically they had to not only, as she said, they had to make an offering for themselves because they were human and they were sinful, and then they got to make an offering for the community. Jesus didn't have to make an offering for himself, right? And then this amazing thing, he becomes the offering for you and I. Like, just think about that. And so communion, this is what we're called to remember. This is what we remember. We remember that he stepped into that space and he offered himself for you, for me, for all the generations before us and all the generations after us. And so on the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ, he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, take and eat. So let's eat together. Likewise, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out and shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Brothers and sisters, royal priesthood, let's drink together. So I don't know where you find yourself um, this afternoon. We're all in different spaces, different places in our minds and our thoughts and our lives. But honestly and truly, none of that matters. Because you and I, we go up one day, we go down the next, right? We have good days, we have bad days. We feel super spiritual today. By the end of the week, we're, we're as Pastor Rich said, we barely even remember for Christians, right? None of that matters, though. You know why? Because Jesus is still who he was to us. He is still our sacrifice. You and I don't have to be a sacrifice. Our sa the sacrifice was done and completed. We get to make mistakes. We get to get back up. We get to try again. But I love the question that Pastor uh, Sharon shared with us. She said, the, the thing is, are you going to step out? and be that person to someone else. 
And so as we close today, if you want to just pursue, maybe you, maybe you just want to think through what it looks like for you to be that priest to someone in your school, someone in your block, someone in your workplace. You just, just want, to, you want to pray about that. You want to ask God to speak to you. You can come up to our prayer people. They'll be here on my right, on your left, over by the cross. Allow someone to just pray for you, to just walk you through this experience. And those of you that are online, you know, maybe, maybe you just don't even, you just don't even know who is this Jesus that Pastor Sharon talked about. And maybe you identify with her. Maybe you identify with just not even thinking of Jesus as a person, but just God is this concept out there that has nothing to do with you. We want to invite you to text yes to Jesus. Someone, one of our pastors will reach out to you within a couple of days and just talk to you. It will not be a pressure-filled experience. They will talk to you about this Jesus and help you to see how he holds his arms out to you. Who he died to show himself to be in your life. We have an enormous blessing, those of us that are in this room and those of us that are watching online as well, to say that we know Jesus Christ, to say we know this high priest is a tremendous gift. And now the step is for us as we go through this week, who are we going to show this Jesus to? Who can we extend kindness to, grace love it may not be easy they may not receive what you have to say they may respond to you reactively right negatively they may not want to talk to you again and so the next day you're going to have to just go back and say good morning no one said that it's going to be an easy experience but the question is are we going to accept the invitation that our God presents to us His journey was quite a bit more than our journey would be. So how can you cooperate with the gift that he's given you? How can you pay it forward and direct someone else to Jesus? That's my prayer for myself, and it's my prayer for each of us that we would go from here and we would heed the call that Pastor Sharon gave to us this morning. So hold out your hands. I'm going to pray and um, bless all of you. As we go forward, brothers and sisters, the royal priesthood, I pray that you would experience God's love and grace over your life, that you would sense the light of his kindness and of his love wash and pour over you, that you would see yourself as he sees you, that you would see others as he sees them. And that you would go forth to bring beauty, to bring grace, and to bring the love of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. And those of you online, we'll see you all next week as well.